Welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast in partnership with Koan. Um, Happy New Year. This is our first episode after the new year. We hope you all had a restful break. And today, joining me on Giant Talk is Georgia. Georgia uh, Parker, part of the Derby Giants team, has been on Giant Talk before. And today we're going to be talking about humans, organisations and OKRs. But firstly, for those listeners who didn't hear the previous episodes you featured on Georgia, please can you introduce yourself? Certainly. Hi, everyone. My name's Georgia Parker and I lead the OKR culture practice for Derby Giants, uh, which involves a number of kind of strands of support with clients around culture, around values and how these are all connected to OKRs. And it's Culture is absolutely critical in terms of successful OKR implementation. So it's a, it's a topic that I really enjoy working on um, in terms of the experience I've had in the UK and abroad, working with a range of organisations around cu- culture, culture transformation, and what we need to do to support the humans that are doing the work that gets the OKRs done. Perfect. Thanks, George. And I think something that's really important at the moment, especially with the kind of crises that we're all facing around the world as well, to kind of think about that culture. Mm. So um, let's dive in. We mentioned we want to talk humans and organisations today, and you're kind of maybe wondering what we mean by this. So, Georgia, over to you, if you can explain a little bit more for us. Yeah, sure. So it's interesting. We often think about businesses or organisations or corporations as being quite separate sort of things, but actually they are human in that they only exist because of the humans that run them, that work in them. Mm. So an organisation doesn't exist as anything substantial without humans. It's just a name or a website or a brand or a company registration number. So the nature of our organisations is completely related to the nature of the people that are in them and perhaps founded them as well. And who we are is how we behave both at home and at work, with different parameters. And we're all just as different as we are similar. So all of that is going on inside organisations. And the larger the organisation, in some ways, the more complex that gets. So if we don't address and and seek to understand how to work best with humans, we're not really doing our organisation a service. Yeah, yeah, the, The two things are so closely linked in a way an organization it is almost like a person in its own right you know it has its its own preferences about how it likes to function in the world it has a, a market at places it likes to be seen places it likes to go certain ways of doing things as we all do individually as humans yeah no it makes complete sense like you say it's kind of breaking it down to think about who's behind the organization yeah Great. So now say a bit more. I'm going to say a bit more about that, though, as well. So particularly leaders have a significant impact on what their organisation is like. So the nature of leaders, their values, their priorities, the way they behave, what they believe in, and often the founding members of a business as well, are the most influential factor on the culture of an organisation. We see our leader or our manager behave in a certain way and either consciously or unconsciously, we're likely to believe that that's the way to get on round here. That's the way to do things round here. That's the way to fit in round here. And we have these basic and strong human needs to feel connected to people, to be good enough at work, to feel that we're contributing, that we're making a difference. Um, and so we adapt the behaviours that we see around us to ensure that we can be part of that 
culture and, and there's a sense of fit and many listeners will know what it feels like if you're working in an organization and you don't feel that you fit the culture it's deeply uncomfortable because it challenges our values um so if those if behaviors going on around us are very much in line with who we are and what we believe in you know our hearts and our minds are engaged if we experience the opposite um, it can actually be as serious as a kind of a values violation and a line gets crossed and we withdraw effort from that point, mm-hmm. particularly if we feel quite trapped. Many people just can't simply leave a job. It's just not practical. They've got mortgages, they've got families. You know, it's not that straightforward. And certainly at the moment, not straightforward. So then we feel quite trapped. We withdraw some of our discretionary effort um, and actually it can cause passive aggressive behavior or even you know di- directly overt um, behavior that is puts blocks and barriers in the way to something like an OKR implementation because people think well why should I bother mm. why should I put the effort in to learn this new thing or work in a different way or so there's a there's a lot there's a lot in this mm, definitely great so I think we understand a little bit more about kind of cultural makeup of our organizations and I guess we could talk about that kind of maybe all day and for days on end um but let's maybe talk a little bit about OKRs and specifically how culture can affect your OKRs um and it's something that often is overlooked as a reason for maybe why OKRs is failing so in our conversation today I kind of want to focus on businesses that may be in crisis because there's a lot of businesses out there that may be feeling that at the moment and businesses that are also potentially going through mergers of specific applications the implications these can bring so, um, Georgia, coming over to you on this one, um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with, with businesses in crisis and kind of the steps they need to potentially work through? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll take a step back first and just give this a bit of a position. So um, from our perspective, culture and OKRs are insepa- just inseparable um, and successful implementation of OKRs requires a sufficiently healthy and psychologically safe culture as a foundation. Gosh, that was hard to say this morning. (laughs) Psychologically safe culture. And what we mean by healthy and psychologically safe is that people feel secure enough in their role, which can be very difficult if a business is in crisis financially. They feel safe to learn, safe to contribute and safe to challenge. And that's the psychological safety aspect. So businesses in crisis... (laughs) can uh, may just be unable to provide enough of the the reassurance that people need it sounds obvious but it's not easy mm-hmm. so you know the, the the amount of uncertainty that is around in business at the moment will feel like a crisis um, and because an organization is full of people who have their own needs their own priorities their own requirements their own standards you know all the rest of it um, around their own mental health, their own emotional well-being, as well as their physical safety, there's a lot going on. So one person in a team within a, within a business in crisis may feel comfortable with that because, for example, they know that they could live on their partner's income and they'd be okay. Yeah. So a threat to their physical sort of self isn't isn't the issue but the emotional security or the the kind of mental sense of security comes from having an income someone else in that team could be really distressed and really unable to kind of perform and function unless they can get the reassurance that you know their job isn't at risk and all there's income coming from somewhere else so that's a kind of very basic example and it's hard for humans to live in crisis 
for an extended period of time. I think we're, we're really seeing that now coming into 2021, that we felt like we were in crisis most of 2020, and it's really hard to sustain it. So leaders, and I've seen this in businesses in crisis, they forget that they're not in crisis and they continue to act year on year as if everything is urgent and important all the time and everything is critical. And it's not true in a business, actually. And it creates a lot of stress mm. for people because we just can't sustain it. We get burnt out and exhausted and our health, our health suffers. So when I'm working with leaders with a business in crisis, I, I'm often trying to say, really, what is the crisis? And can we calm down about all the rest of it and reprioritize and work out, you know, that kind of critical path rather than carrying on trying to do everything at once? Because that's often what happens and it's quite unhelpful. And I, so I, getting back round to the point about OKRs, mm. that's why OKRs can be so helpful. It might seem odd for a business in crisis to want to do something different and introduce OKRs, but it creates alignment, focus and priorities. Everyone knows where they stand. And because it's short term, much shorter term than traditionally, you know, goal and objective setting over a year, people can kind of see progress as well. And it means, of course, that we can adapt and, and flex to what's going on in the world around us, which we needed to do prior to the pandemic. But we really need to do now. We don't have any option. So actually, OKRs can be a kind of um, almost a, a, a calming process, I think, in an organisation in crisis. So I love how Coan is designed with the team in mind. The team is really at the centre of the system and it's about helping the team and the members of those teams, obviously, to really collaborate on how they work with OKRs. I mean, there's, there's obviously full transparency across the system, which helps, and then the features that they have around feedback uh, and uh, being able to track uh, levels of confidence and so on and so forth around and progress against OKRs. It, it's, it's amazing. And it, because of that level of transparency, it builds accountability and fosters some great communication. So, yeah, I love how teams are just at the centre of uh, the system. Um, I think one of the things we mentioned when we had a chat prior to this podcast recording was kind of the, yeah, we spoke about shifts in growth and innovation within a business in crisis. Mm. And I suppose one of the things I wanted to touch on with you is kind of how does this affect the culture and therefore potentially OKR success as well? Yeah. Um, and I'm also conscious about picking up the, the merger question too. We'll come back to it. We'll yeah, back. Two, yeah, the two <laughs> things are not dissimilar in some ways because often a merger and acquisition happens because a business has been in crisis. Mm. But there's more to come after that. Um, just remind me what you wanted me to answer first. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so when we spoke about this kind of topic in the pre kind of podcast conversation, we mentioned shifts in growth and innovation in a business in crisis or potentially a merger, I guess. Um, and I just suppose one of the things I wanted to ask was how does this kind of affect the culture and also therefore impact OKR success? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. I was thinking about mergers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it, well, crisis and opportunity, two sides of the same coin potentially. So that, that I, I'm not sure that this is true, actually. It's been debunked, but there used to be an old management kind of thing and adage around a Mandarin a Chinese Mandarin character for crisis that's drawn beautifully 
and, and it's exactly the same as opportunity. So in Chinese, you know, crisis and opportunity mm. are actually the same thing. So it's a mindset. Mm. So businesses that flourish during crisis have a growth and innovation mindset and are looking for opportunities rather than trying to manage or suppress the problem, if that makes sense. So it's yeah. a different shift and it, it, and it releases a lot more energy if we're, if we're working towards a solution rather than... Um, trying to sort of I don't know put sandbags over the you know the the leaks that are coming in so I mean some businesses that reach a crisis are forced to stop forced to close down but actually in the long run what opportunities might that present for other individuals or for individuals in that business to go and do something different so I think it's really about how we choose to respond and the mindset that we choose and it takes hard work and effort, but in every crisis, there's an opportunity mm. if we're willing to see it. If we try and cling to the past and try, try and hang on to what's familiar and what we know, which is a very human thing to do when we feel threatened, we want certainty and safety, we, that's probably the greatest threat to the business, actually. Mm. Yeah, I think like you say I think there's a kind of a lot of that wanting to go back especially at the moment go back to the the, the new or I suppose not the new yeah. the normal we knew because that's safe but like there'll be businesses out there that'll be looking to kind of move forward in better ways and take learnings yeah. potentially from the seen, situation we've seen so much of that already I mean so many organisations I know of had to mobilise within 24 hours to a call centre that where everyone was working from home mm. you know on the Friday everyone was in, in work in the office in the call centre on the Monday they were they were working from home it had to be done because the lockdown came and actually some of those businesses had plans in place to move towards that over the next 18 months one organisation I know was planning it over five years well they did it in three days mm. you know so and that did a lot for people in terms of them understanding how much resource and capability they did have in a crisis mm. so just to come back to the merger point as I said, not always by any means, but quite often a business is acquired or a merger happens because there's something going on in, in one of them, at least, or maybe even two, and they, you know, they, they come together to be stronger. Um, but the usually the stronger the, the larger or the more financially robust organisation feels like the dominant partner, mm-hmm. even if it's set up as being very equal. So that's often quite a challenge for the people coming in, as it were who may have, have realised that their jobs were at threat and, you know, this organisation. So there can be mixed views about that. But organisations that assume that everything will run smoothly after merger and people will just get the new culture or, you know, this new part of the, uh, of the group will understand OKRs and implement them successfully if the, if the other party has, that is just a nonsense. Mm. Because actually, most organisations, they do lots of due diligence around finance if they're going to buy another, buy another business or merge, but do often do very little around culture and find out afterwards what's really gone on. Mm. <laughs> and, it, and, and it usually, in my experience, takes about a year perhaps to really get under the skin of, of what's gone on and it can be quite toxic because there will no doubt have been leadership and kind of behavior cultural issues going on that were impacting the reason that the business was was for sale or available or needed to merge in the first place 
not not always. Sometimes it's a natural progression. You know, um, a CEO is due to retire, that kind, that kind of stuff. But very often there's something that's that's unhealthy within the within the organisation. So that needs paying attention to. No one should assume that OKRs can can just go straight in. Yeah, I suppose that leads me on to kind of my next question as well, kind of around, you spoke briefly there about kind of bringing two cultures together and you spoke almost again briefly about how this can affect OKRs, but is there anything kind of further, I guess, you wanted to add around that in terms of when you bring those two cultures together, how does that really affect OKRs? It might be that one of those businesses has OKRs or both have OKRs and they've implemented them in different ways, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, I was thinking about that. And I, I think these points apply for both merger, crisis and in general, really. It's, it's really around what we need to do to set our humans up to be successful in implementing OKRs. Because the majority of people come to work, I'd say the apps, you know, 99.9% come to work wanting to do the best job they can. We don't come to work wishing to be disruptive, difficult, bored, you know, stressed. No one really wants that. Mm. So that the role of leaders is to do the diagnostic work, find out what's going on, um, you know, something like a cultural values assessment uh, or a team psychological safety assessment can be really valuable sources of data. Um, understand what's needed, what your people need, and then adapt, get creative, find solutions, try new things, you know, fail and learn, which are really the principles of Agile that sit behind OKRs as well. Um, and involve people, talk to each other, mm. we're stronger together. So key things I'd recommend is that, that leaders pay attention to in, in these circumstances, a clear, honest and engaging change story. <clears throat> Get you know, Leaders need to tell a similar, it doesn't have to be exactly the same words, but they need to tell the same story with conviction consistently and regularly. Because in every business I've ever worked in, I guarantee everyone would say, yeah, we could do better about communication. Mm. doesn't matter how fab it is. So we have to con- communicate that change story and own the truth. If we don't know the answer and we're not sure yet, it's much better to say that to people and say, and we need your input, your brains, your ideas, your experience, your passion to contribute to resolving this, to finding the solution, seeing the opportunity, what might that be and how could we deliver that? Um, get real and prioritise immediate short-term steps to stabilise, if that's possible. Let's assume that the business is in crisis but can stabilise. And then focus on what, who we want to be, what we could be, where could we go, rather than try and hang on to something that isn't working anymore. Yeah, That takes some courage. And, and so leaders have to stand up and have quite often what feel like quite brave conversations and maybe share more information, even though they're sharing less in a way, with people than they've done before. Because it's not okay to ask people to stay in, committed with their hearts and minds, if it's actually just exhausting them to do so. Mm. You know, there's a fairness piece in this for me. Um, And the growth and the innovation that's required to save the business from a crisis, or, you know, harmonise a culture with... Um, merging organisations coming together, if that's what people want, that it it takes such a level of kind of energy and passion and focus. It's much better to use it there because you use the same amount of energy, passion and focus, if not more, to hang on to something that wasn't yeah. working mm-hmm. and deal with all of the anxiety of that. Um, 
and actually focusing on growth and innovation can take a, a business into the next league or next level, to be honest. So focus so, on the, almost the positive rather than the focus on the negative. Yeah, and that's, but, but we need to do that whilst acknowledging all the difficult things people mm. are feeling. It's not glossing over. It's not a, oh, rah, 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 we're all, isn't this fabulous? It's not a lie about the attitude. It's, it's genuinely being able to say, this is extremely difficult. And I, as a leader, believe we can make it if we do this together. Uh, you know, how, how can we do this together? Mm. Is that... It's that real value piece, isn't it? And making your employees feel valued as well. Like we yeah. need you to get through this to kind of improve, to grow. So help us along the way. I'd take people on the journey rather than pull people along. Yes. Mm. Um, and people can be very frightened of that. Mm. And so we get all sorts of different behaviour then potentially showing up. But um, there's lots that can be done to, 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 to reassure people by engaging them, by having conversation and dialogue but humans usually feel better when we talk about stuff mm. and we're allowed to say I'm really worried I'm really, I, I don't have a partner whose income I can rely on if I don't have this job I don't know what happens to my home or you know all the rest of that stuff um, people need to be able to express that and feel heard and feel valued in doing so yeah, and I think it's acceptable to like share those views rather than kind of I think there's been an old kind of an old fashioned view that you've got to keep everything inside and kind of deal with all your own problems yourself. And that's really not not needed anymore, is it? So you uh, can share uh, those views. Yeah, British stiff up a lip. Yeah. Brush it under the carpet. And yeah. Have a cup of tea and we'll all be fine. Yeah. Four <laughs> time mentality serves the purpose, but we can't sustain it for very long. Mm. You know, we'll, we will crash. And, you know, we're clearly seeing that all, all over the world now. People's mental health and emotional well-being and then physical health will suffer because they've had to stay in crisis mode for so long. Mm. It, it's, it's, you know, it's difficult for us to, to do that. Mm. Great. So that was kind of, I guess, a structure of how you would lead someone through that kind of process of mm. being in crisis. Is there any kind of specific tools you would suggest to help organisations in these situations? I know yeah. you mentioned kind of a couple of things earlier yeah. on, so I just want to revisit yeah. that. I mean, I think for an organisation that has already begun to work with OKRs, then the maturity model assessment that we have is a great starting place as a diagnosis tool. So it has a number of elements specifically related to OKR implementation, um, and that includes leadership and culture. So even if you the other bits weren't relevant because you weren't that far down the line, actually you would get a sense of kind of where leadership and culture were currently in your organisation by doing the maturity model assessment and a sense of what's needed, what the next level would look like, what mm -hmm. the next step would look like, and that will help organisations design interventions. Um, and we, as I, as I said before, we use a couple of other different assessment tools to um, measure and define culture. Um, there's a range of tools there, but the core one is a cultural values assessment. Um, and perhaps we should do a specific podcast about mm. that. So I think yeah, interesting. Quite a lot to explain about. Yeah. Um, and we also have um, a team psychological safety assessment, uh, a bit simpler to explain, but again, might be worth its own podcast so people kind of understand what that is and um, in an ideal world businesses would always prioritize kind of cultural and psychological safety work values work leadership work first and get that really robust and healthy and then implement okrs that is not how the world works mm. um, so actually implementing okrs is a way to address what's going on in the culture 
so it can twin track. Okay. OKRs, an OKR implementation will not necessarily change a culture, but with some attention and effort on culture, on behaviour, on leadership, on values, and what that means for us in the business, OKRs are a way to put that into practice immediately and quickly. So I think the two things can work in tandem really well. And the reality is OKR implementation is likely to pose some challenges to the culture of the organisation, even for you know, a great culture, a really mm. healthy culture, just because it's different. Mm. Um, so I think businesses are, are advised at any stage, whether they're merging or in crisis or, or you know, going great, don't ever take your eye off the ball around culture. Yeah, definitely. It can shift. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. I think we've gone kind of obviously we could speak about this and know you could speak about this kind of for days, Georgia. So um I think I we will revisit. Sorry. <laughs> I could if my voice lasted <laughs> And I think we've spoke we've obviously touched on kind of two specific situations today around kind of mergers and a business in crisis and given some kind of quick tips to things that how people should maybe think in those situations and some tools that they could use so thanks for a kind of a really fascinating discussion around that um I just wanted to come back to you really for any kind of um, final thoughts um kind of anything else you wanted to add before we kind of close off the conversation yeah and it comes back to what we started with you know organizations businesses that they're just they're full of humans Mm, yeah. <laughs> the, the machinery, the plant, the the finance, the office, the chairs, the desks, or whatever it may be, or the vans, or the who knows. That that's not the stuff that it might break down or go wrong, but it's not the stuff that has a mind of its own. I know sometimes a photocopier can feel like that, but the truth is, it's the it's the people that add the complexity to a business and also the creativity and the potential mm. for growth and innovation and success, however you choose to define it. So, yeah, don't take your eye off the ball around the, the people. It's the yep. people that matter. Look after your people. Look after <laughs> your people. I mean, Ranson talked about that a lot. He was quite famous for that, I don't know, what, 15, 20 years ago. I can't remember the quote exactly, but it basically says, if you treat your, your staff well, you'll never need to deal with kind of customer complaint issues yeah that will will resolve it and sort it and things may go wrong but the way in which they address that will create a positive positive experience for the customer Mm. so you know customers customers what we all need we need other humans to buy the to buy whatever it is the humans in your business are trying to sell or make or create or and you ultimately want your employees to be your biggest advocates as well you don't want kind of employees to be miserable and kind of exactly not be positive about what's going on so and i think it's really important um well thank you thank you for your time today and thank you for joining us on a giant talk um to our listeners as always we'd love to hear your feedback so you can either drop us a note at growth at verbejiants.com or you can find us on linkedin and twitter we've got a lot of cultural kind of guides and tools on our website so head to verbejiants.com and you'll find those on there and you can also find out more about kind of georgia the team and the culture practice as well um, so that all le- only leaves me with the last couple of words that I want to leave you with, which is stay safe, please. And we'll see you next time on Giant Talk. Thanks for listening.